What do your mornings look like? What do they sound like? Introducing Mashup. It is a voice activating blender that lists off smoothie ingredients so you can kickstart your day off with a nutritious burst of flavor. When you are ready, just ask it to mash up. You can use blueberries, strawberries, avocado, banana, anything that you enjoy. Um, just make sure you get your day started off right with mashup. Okay, we are back with Joyce. How are you doing tonight? Wonderful. I mean, as good as it gets, given that this shit storm behind me. <laughs> oh my God, the weather is so bad. But, you know, I really was so fascinated to talk to you because you really have made a successful career transition, in my opinion. And me and you actually both met through a hotel program in college. Um, and I know you're from New York, and I love yeah. that about you when I first met you because New York City is my favorite place in the world. Um, so I wanted to kind of go into your background a little bit. Can you describe like what it was like to grow up in New York and what draw drew you into wanting to work in the hotel business initially? I think to be honest, and I tell everyone this being born and raised in New York, I, I actually thought nothing of it because you know, when you're born and bred here, it just doesn't hit you what's outside. We, it's the convenience I'm used to. What really picked up for me and how I really got to appreciate the city was actually leaving New York to attend Penn State. That's actually when I started appreciating the city more because now I was out of my element. Did you grow up enjoying like going to hotels though and like watching like what sparked your interest in the industry or like was it like a situation where like you didn't know what you wanted to study when you first got to school? Um, it was for personal reasons, just because, you know, I traveled with my dad a lot, and so I was always, like, hopping from one hotel to another, and I figured when I got to college, I didn't really actually know what I wanted to major, but I was definitely restricted because my dad sure as hell was not paying, like, 70 grand total just for me to be a math major, <laughs> but I kind of found an outlet in HRIM being that it is an element of business, but it was more operations. It was an approach for me to understand people. And I knew that was a strength of mine, just, you know, not just even growing up in New York, but just being around different elements out of my comfort zone. So it was a lot of adaptability. And for our listeners who don't know, HRM is Hotel Restaurant Institutional Management. And um, yeah, no, that's funny. Cause like, if you go to different hotels and you kind of see interact with different styles of people. And just for me, one of my pivotal moments was actually in New York. It's so weird. Um, I stayed at the Hotel Pennsylvania that was near Madison Square Garden. And I went there with my mom for the Emmy Awards. And I remember thinking, well, I could just have the world come to me because look at all these people from all over the world. They're coming to a hotel. Like I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, and I also really like customer service. That's, I, I thought I was good at it. I had no idea what it could be, but, um, yeah, I really thought, so no, that's so fascinating. So where were you traveling in different hotels? Like, was it around the world or what was your experience? Um, so my dad, a little background to my dad, he is a restaurant consultant in a sense where he manages and directs people on a given budget on how to operate the restaurant and how to even 
build the best restaurant business. So when I traveled, it wasn't just domestic, it was international too. So we went to like cities in Hong Kong, London, Toronto. Um, so which is why like almost everyone in my family is just born in a different city because work was part of the life. So this was a day to day for me. And I lived outside. Um, I lived in London for a year. So, so hotel hopping was actually normal for me. So seeing human behavior within guests and even just understanding the hotel background, you kind of just feel like, oh, I can do this. It's it's not that hard, right? You're just- You see all the smiling like faces. Yeah, I like what I would, yeah. you would see people welcoming you and you would go into the hotel room and be like, oh my God, this is so fun. Like I always thought it was, I always appreciate the hospitality aspect of it. And I, yeah, that was before, like I worked in a hotel, but I always thought like it would be such an, a happy job. That's how I perceived it. Actually I was like, wow, this is, Make I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah. Like I, I thought, wow, I'm really going to enjoy this. And then also I used to watch like the travel channel and I would love how she would go to these like really fancy hotels. Um, and I just, I always like wanted to like work in like Marriott or Hyatt. Like that was my thing. Did you have like a specific brand that you absolutely loved when you were traveling that you're like, okay, when I go to school, I'm going to manage these hotels. Truthfully, I like private smaller hotels because it's more personable. I think with, you know, the lights of Hilton's and Marriott's, they're grand names and there's there's more opportunities. But I just find that it's very generic in a sense or you know what to expect regardless of what city you're in. Ah. You're going to get that same service. You're going to get that same treatment. You kind of know the amenities. You know that the services, what they provide and what they offer. Interesting. Okay. Now, did you happen to go to the uh, New York hotel show uh, any of the years at Penn State? Yes, I actually went twice. And it's funny because the first time I went, it was a last minute decision. I just thought it was cool to meet other people with the same interests. And I figured, why not? This is like more of a meet and greet. I probably meet professionals that maybe I'd run into down the line, which actually happened because that's where I met my eventual first manager out of college. He was working for the Hilton of Millennium in New York. And that was one of the very first branches I touched before fully committing to the MIT program. Wow. So like when I went to the uh, New York, I, I don't know if we went the same year. I think I went in 2007. I only went one year because I, I thought it was like a little stuffy, pretentious mm -hmm. a bit. Um, and I, and truthfully, actually, Christina was going to the hotel show. And so I was like, oh, I love this girl. I want to go. And she was one of the reasons that I actually went to the hotel show to begin with, because I saw it as an opportunity for us to get closer. And like we shared a hotel room, but I visited the Ritz Carlton Battery Park. Um, I went to, oh man, I don't forget the other properties. I just remember that one. And I remember it being like, wow, look how nice the room, like, I remember the person like walking us around, like, wow, look how nice these rooms are. And like the view of Battery Park. Oh my God, that was amazing. And you could pick, you could go to like Bubblegum Shrimp. You could, there were people that went to the Waldorf. You could go to the Hyatt. Like it was truly cool. I have to say of all the things at Penn State, 
that was like very tailored to the hotel people. And I really did appreciate that. Is that how you yeah. saw it? Yeah. I mean, I think one grand thing about Penn State's hospitality program, it is ranked amongst the top. So I knew, and being enrolled in the program, I knew what I was getting. I was getting the best of the best. And you've had firsthand the opportunities. We saw the recruiters coming into our college, having the hotel show, having other programs where you're traveling to other cities, staying in various hotels, really gave us a leg up. Yeah. And the networking that was there, I remember that kind of being cool. Like, I also remember like there were kids that like, were like, I've never been to New York before. I'm so scared of taking the subway. And I'm like, come on. Like I've been taking the subway in New York. My, like I was like laughing my ass off. It was so funny. But like, they were like, I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania. I've never been to a big city. It was, and then it was so funny. Cause like, I just, the networking for me, I know like Christina, this is what Christina would say. She would say like some of the kids, like whenever like the recruiters would come in, they would be like all suited up and like ready yeah. to like get their shine or whatever. And she described them being entitled of like, they just assumed they were going to get the internship or they were just assumed they were going to get the job. And like, I never really saw it firsthand, but I think she was in a, one of the different like career development days or something where, yeah. You know, and there were like, I don't want to call them sharks, but there were people that were just like, they were so ready to like work for the Waldorf or whatever. And I'm just like, I, I don't yeah, know. Like breathe a little. Yeah. Like I, I was like, I mean, I, I, me and Christina both didn't realize like that it was like a who, you know, industry. Like I, I just thought, oh, I'll be in hotels and I'll, you know, like work hard and then I'll eventually get an internship or something. But what started to happen is like they were taking people that were like well-liked and favorited and it just became like a popularity contest. Yeah. And all over it. it really did. And like, I just, my personality, I'm not kissing up to anybody. I don't care who you are. Um, this one kid I remember distinctly, he like worked at his parents owned like a banquet hall, like in Allentown or something. And then he like worked at the Rittenhouse square hotel for like that internship that was like free or whatever. And then he ended up working in the Waldorf Astoria in New York. I'm just like, I never really wanted to be that fancy. I just wanted to run a hotel. Like I, I, I didn't feel like I fit in with those kids. Like a lot of the time, yeah. you know, I don't know if you felt that way. Oh, I mean, I definitely, because as we, I think you and I frequently discuss it, that we have a love-hate relationship with the major and with the people itself, because there were a lot of kids to us, and at the same time, it was disgusting, because some <laughs> of the recruiters that came in, they had intentions. They, they did. You're not wrong. <laughs> they knew who they were going to hire. That's so right. It's so true. <laughs> Yeah, so I felt like I was wasting their time by speaking to them. Yeah, like, um, I forget how it would go, but it would be like, like, these kids, like, I don't know, they either they were like the teacher's pet or they just, I remember one of our professors was like, oh, Ritz Carlton only takes people with like that cross their T's and dot their I's or something. They don't look <laughs> at number two. So there was, yeah, there was like just so much competition. Um, now I will tell you when I got out of uh, the hotel school, 
I did actually get a job offer in, not in New York City, but I got it out the Meadowlands. Um, it was, what was the company's name? I don't remember, but they were telling me like, oh, you're going to have to live in North Jersey and make what the employees make. I'm like, uh, do you know how expensive it is to live here? Like, do you want me to have 13 roommates in Brooklyn or something? What, what, what are you? So I, I felt like I, I mean, I guess if I stayed there, like I could have, I guess made something out of myself in the hotel world, but I just, I, it didn't make any financial sense to me. So I just came back to Philly, but you got an MIT program, which didn't happen to me. Um, and I'm really happy for you because it only happened to a certain amount of people. So you were probably doing something right. You know? Um, I say at least 75% of it was luck. Okay. So tell Tell us a story of how it all unfolded. Because I, I told you I had met my eventual manager at the hotel show. So even prior to my official interview for the MIT program, I already spoke to him several times. I met with him. I had a drink with him at the bar during, you know, during the time. Oh my God. What he wanted, what he was looking for. Now this is where I say it's really about selling yourself rather than selling what you know, because he knew, you know, this would be my first job out of college. He knew off the bat that, you know, I was a double major, so he might not have 100% of my dedication right off the bat. But I told him I am willing to learn. And mind you, backtrack a little, this whole Hilton MIT program, the first six months was I was paid to a minimum. So the first six months, I knew whatever city I would end up in, I would be living off ramen, mac and cheese, and that's pretty much it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. There, there was a downside. And when I was officially placed in Austin, Texas, the program for six months, everyone was struggling. No one was getting sleep because being in a hotel business, it's not a nine to five. It's more like a six to like 10 p.m. Pretty much, pretty much. So mind you, and I'm getting paid the bare minimum. So it was a struggle six days a week. It was competitive. You had your daily assholes who just wants to pick a fight. So they're testing you to see how much you can keep your composure. And what was your job? So like, I know the MIT was like manager and training, but did they, did you go around every department or how was it laid out? Uh, well, I guess the program really depends on your background. I went in when I applied and had the interview, I listed two of the focal points. I wanted front office and revenue management. And luckily for me, those were the two rotations that I was going through during the six month span. I started at front office where every day I'm dealing with pissed off guests bitching about something, bitching about their towels, their lack of amenities, you know, their, their, their Lenin's not having a thousand count. <laughs> it's just shit like that. But when I got to revenue management, I felt that that was where it was a comfort zone because now I understood both the front of the house and the back of the house and working strategically. How can we price these rooms? to really generate a profit margin because going back to these terms the average daily rates occupancy rates those were the focus like during my rotation so yeah revenue management is actually always a job i've had my eye on um i guess i didn't take like the track and penn state i didn't 
I guess I didn't realize what it was until I was out of school and I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. And then, but tell me your experience being a revenue manager, because you told me before that you had no interaction with the guests and it's like a desk job. Like, can you go into more detail about being a revenue manager? Yeah. The first, typically the first eight months, 12 months, a year, like you're really behind the desk because you have to understand the source because you have to understand how each hotel has this particular margin. Now, given that like Hilton, a brand that has like thousand properties worldwide. And at that point I was at the Hilton conference center downtown in Austin. And the focal point was that was really primarily conference rooms, uh, large groups, not your day-to-day -day family vacations. We were selling to more businesses. So they trained you behind a desk, understanding the way people buy and sell, just staring at a screen, understanding all the acronyms they're using, understand how we have to meet not just the margin of Hilton, but your competitors. So we were always up against the Marriott's, the Starwood, the Hyatt's, all the bullshit chains. Yeah, wow. When we're looking at it, you we are basically sitting not even just behind the desk, but like bringing homework, reading books on how we can generate revenue, create a new revenue stream for a hotel. And what were some of the like ideas did you like bring into management or like what like what would you do other than study your competitor? I think I used the location to my advantage because I knew being in Austin, Texas, one of the key reasons, the biggest market was the University of Texas being there. So one of my pitch and strategies at the time was I mentioned to my boss, I was like, why don't we sell to corporate universities such as your UMT? They have football games come in and sell it to large groups, sell it to the alumni associations. Now it's not just a business point. We're making it a value to reach out to your community groups, your alumni, your bed and breakfast groups where they're not necessarily here just for a family vacation, but more external regions such as your conferences, such as like your meet and greets. And you know, at that time they had South by Southwest. We can pitch to those groups. So how long were you in the MIT program? And then what was the point where you were like, I'm kind of over this? <laughs> well, I was over it after the first month, but I didn't actually become the full on my own manager until I finally left Austin and my boss gave me my property in San Diego. And that's when I took the next rotation, but now I was on my own. Now I was making the real managerial dollars, which, you know, at the time is still not much because given that San Diego is so freaking pricey. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. And that was, you know, I guess the eighth month in after I graduated. So now I'm going to a whole city on my own, managing the San Diego property. Wow. The and it was rough because selling to a crowd in Texas is vastly different to and selling to people in California. They don't react to the market. I realize that people in California, it's just they're laid back like that. They don't book anything until the very last second. Wow. And that's very typical because there's just abundance of property in California versus Texas. So if we're selling conference room or even just like regular suites or rooms, they're not booking it. They're not booking six months in advance. The odds are we'll be lucky if they're booking two weeks in advance. Wow. So then you 
like what was the pivotal moment where you were like i i i don't want to do this anymore as a career like how did you feel about that what really hit me was when i had my last property in chicago oh you went to chicago after san diego okay gotcha and being in the chicago market i realized that i've i've had it because the chicago market is not far off of the new york market it's a nightmare it's yes you get you know 25 percent of your guests will come at you greet you with a friendly face but Let's be honest, the hotel industry is as ugly as it gets because a lot of it is just fake. You know, they're laughing to you, but they probably want to stab you the minute they walk away. And I felt that when I got to Chicago, being in like downtown Chicago, I just felt like the competitive was just the competition was just too much. And at the same time, it got to a point where I started realizing that I outlined most of my time at this job at a property, not even home, but at a hotel property than I did in my own bedroom, than I did with my own friends and family. And that's what really was the final straw for me. Oh, you live there. You absolutely live there. There's a storm, snowstorm. Oh, you're there like, yeah. they're like, can you work the night and the day shift? Got it, cool. Yeah. And I'm sure in yeah. Chicago, it snowed a lot, so. Yeah. And like that, you you think the title of like a manager or whatever, a junior director would mean anything? It really doesn't because in the hotel world, whether you're an assistant, whether you're like a hotel clerk, whether you're just like a doorman, it's the same because you're putting in the same effort, the same hours. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's so fascinating. And then um, on the other side of our break, we're going to talk more about your transition to your current career. But I, I just, it's so amazing to hear your story because you have no idea how similar it is to even Christina's story or my story or mm-hmm. the countless HRM people that are like in the HRM graveyard, I should say. Yeah. But it um, is a yeah, we'll be right back. Ready for some fun in the sun? Sure you are. Not without our oversized beach towels. Scott's Surf Shop has everything to cover you at the beach, including swimming apparel, sunblock, scuba gear, flip-flops, and oversized beach towels. They are made with shakeaway technology that makes sure that you leave the beach at the beach. Before you drive to the cottage or beach house, stop by Scott's Surf Shop today to start your summer off right. Okay, and we are back. So when you left uh, the Hilton in Chicago, you ended up, what did you want to do after that? Like, did you want to try a different hotel program or were you like, how did you know what you wanted to do next? Like, tell us that like trajectory. Um, Truth be told, I didn't know. It was more of, I knew what I was good at. And one thing that, like I said, that the hotel industry did teach me was, to really understand people's wants and needs. So I knew I wanted to be client facing. And when I got back to New York, I actually came back to New York without a job. I I left Chicago, didn't have backup. I just had it because it was the last straw. Um, I looked into a number of industries, but several of my friends actually recommended, even including some of my mentors, 
recommended media because it is like a very client-facing world, similar to um, hotel industry. You are selling for them. You're actually using their media dollars and understanding how to deviate it properly in an ad world. Hmm. Um, so when I when finally took some interviews in the media industry, fun fact, I took a huge pay cut actually jumping from hotels. I am yeah. I mean, I would imagine yeah. It's it it was it was a lot to a point where I. I definitely admit I, I got scared. I panicked. I didn't know if I can even last a year knowing that I can't pay for all my bills, but I knew I had to fight through it because I, it was either that or go back to slitting my wrists. <laughs> right. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the pivotal point for me was when I was a front office manager at the Comfort Inn in downtown Philly, they came to me and said like, oh, we're rebranding it to a Holiday Inn. And they hired me under the assumption, like I was hired when they were like, oh, we're going to go through a rebrand and, you know, you're going to be the manager of Holiday Inn. And then it, and then when they went to do the rebranding, I was dropped. And what scared me so much, I, I think about that moment a lot because now that I'm, it took me 10 years to be where I am right now. I think, why didn't I just go work for a bureau? Why didn't I just go work for like Visit Philadelphia after that? Why did I give up? And the reason I feel like it's like, because I got scared because like, I, I was like, wow, the hotel business can chew you up and spit you out just like that. Mm -hmm. And that really freaked me out. Cause I'm like, what if I had a mortgage? What if I had kids? Like it, I, that really, I mean, that really kind of did it in for me. And so I was just kind of like looking at another way to make a little bit of the same. I mean, I, what I never made as much as I did working in that hotel, but like, mm -hmm. it, like just trying to find something similar to pay my bills. I understand yeah. completely. Yeah. So, and, you know, even starting in media, I, I, it was a lot of grunt work because I can't have the same attitude as I did when I was a manager, because now I'm coming in as an associate or an analyst. And, you know, I had to learn something new as a new skill set. But one thing that I kept in mind is still a behavioral business because media, a lot of it, is really pitching based on what people need and want. So ah. I think that's the alignment between the hotel industry and the media. So what was your first job and what, how long did you stay there? Like, what was that like? On the first media agency, I stayed for about a year and two months. And it was the first six months It's training, understanding the lingo, understanding my clients so at the time i was working on brands such as my clients were chanel subway verizon um church and white so it's really understanding the behavior who are the demographics where are these businesses geographically successful so when we go into the media planning we know how to utilize our budgets our clients dollars and so how are we going to advertise it to generate more profit for them so prime example Chanel being a luxury handbag, you know you're not marketing to people in Kansas City, you're marketing to people in California or New York. So you understand people purchasing these bags are more likely to gravitate to a print ad, a digital ad, or a linear slash national TV ad. They're not listening to a radio and going to a Chanel store, picking up a $3,000 bag. That's not happening. So a lot of it is understanding the market. So understanding the market that you're serving, that is very similar to a hotel. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's like, cause like 
what you were describing before of like with Austin, knowing the market, the, you know, the corporate college or whatever. And then in California, it was so much different. So, so you were like, it, I, I don't know a lot about media, but you were like advertising to those clients or like through ads, like where would you place the ads? More like if Chanel has a hundred million dollars to spend, it was my team's responsibility to utilize that $100 million properly throughout advertisement, whether it's a commercial, a digital ad, or like a radio component, we had to like scatter the dollars to attract new buyers or actually maintain a demographic and generate more revenue for Chanel. And did that work? Did it generate profit? Like for every $1 spent on an ad, you generated like $3 in revenue or something? Um, they use different metrics. So how the agency gets paid out, meaning since I represented the agency, is if Chanel had a fourth quarter like earning of $1 million, we would get a percentage of that million dollars. Oh. So the more revenue they made, the more money was brought into the agency. Oh, okay. So you're like helping them advance their goals. I see. Wow, that's really interesting. And then you moved over to ESPN and that you know, there was someone from HRM who ended up doing like sports, I don't know, either sports communications or I don't remember the person's name, but they worked in Atlanta I, I, on their sports oh, wow. team. Um, but yeah, how was working for ESPN? Like, I'm very curious your experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I did work uh, between ESPN and my first agencies. I did hit other agencies. It took me a while to get myself to ESPN. Um, so I, I come from a sports background. I love sports. Everyone in my family plays sports. And it's always been a dream company. So being that ESPN is essentially a media company in a sense where they're the advertisers and slash advertisees because now they're selling that space too. I felt that that was like really my leg up. Um, understanding sports, playing sports at Penn State definitely helped me. But most importantly, it wasn't even about whether you knew sports. It was what ESPN wanted to look for in a candidate and a good candidate was how we identify human behaviors, how we match their behavior to them, how can we align pretty much studies on a demographic, geographic level, or even down to the wire on a household level to really get an advancement of how to attract additional ad dollars. Wow. And then you were working like, I guess, when it would become like fall was your huge busy season, right? Yep. That's hey, football. College football was my property. Yep. Wow. That's so interesting. And what, how many people work for ESPN and what, what was that like? Oh, well, so ESPN is a property under Disney's. Oh, we have offices in Bristol, Connecticut, which is headquarters. New York, Seattle, Chicago, Atlanta, just to name a few. Globally, there's well above 50 to 75 offices, and each office has roughly about, I don't know, between the ranges of 2,000 and 10,000 people. Wow. So it's a lot because we're covering sport not just domestically, but internationally too. So, like the World Cup games and yep. like the Olympics and cricket and like yeah. or like wimbledon fifa that all that stuff wow yeah golf tournaments i'm actually learning a lot about sports in my current role because 
uh, we use something called an event impact calculator that calculates like events coming into a city. And a lot of the events are focused around sports. So like youth amateur and like, um, there's like, you could do it by admission number, participant based. But what we're finding is like, even though like meetings dropped off cause of the pandemic and everything, and like, you know, people weren't getting together. Um, the sports went shot right up because sports are outside. People have an interest in them. People will drive for tournaments. Um, yes. So I'm actually learning a lot about sports myself. And I'm not really a huge like football watcher or whatever, but I do see a trend upward in people having a huge investment in sports, whether it's like their kid is doing like a tournament or they're attending an event like someone that I work with, they're attending an event because their son wants to play professional soccer with someone in Scotland. So it's like, mm -hmm. there's so much interest around sports, which I never quite understood before, but I've never worked for a company that is, is like that well known. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I can only imagine like just, it, I'm sure that it was a good and bad, you know, I'm sure it was. Oh, yeah you know, you learned, I mean, what was your biggest lesson I would say from, from working there? So a lot of the pros and cons, and I think ESPN, again, it's still one of the best opportunities I had because I, I got to really understand the field that I grew up in being in sports, but most importantly is how much sports really impact a day-to-day -day life. Like we've graduated from Penn State. Football is pretty much a religion. So yes. seeing globally how sports impact cultural-wise is quite intriguing and seeing how it affects their purchasing behavior because one of the trends that we commonly see is that if you slap a Penn State logo on anything, people will buy it because people want to be associated to that brand. It's no different from sports. You want to smack like a uh, New York Giants logo, an LA Rams logo, people will gravitate towards it because Sports is like essentially like a religion. It works like a religion. Some see it as a cult because when it comes to Sunday, you're either picking church or you're going <laughs> at home watching football. Yeah. Those are your options come Sunday. Um, if you live in America, for sure. And then if you're abroad, soccer is everything, you know? Yeah. That's like soccer when. Soccer is Saturday. So on Saturday, you're either on a date or you're, you keep your ass at home watching soccer. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, that's, I, I'm. I'm really like starting to learn more about sports and like, even for the Super Bowl, like they were like, Oh, you know, in LA it brought in $75 million or no, it was like not 75 million. That's too low. It was like 400 million. And I went back to my team where I work and I'm like, did we calculate that? Where are they getting the number from? And apparently my, his old boss does like customized economic impact analysis. And he's like, Oh, he got it from my old boss. And I was like, Basically, the analysis we do is not big enough for those world events or the premium, you know, where it's like it's a multi-day thing. We're more looking at like um, like, oh, a music festival that's coming into the yeah. city like Coachella is a good example or like South by Southwest and seeing how much tax revenue is generated from that. Um, but sports is here to stay. I mean, sports is something that unites people and brings people together and that's like so cool that you were following yet another passion of yours and you found another job. Like that's amazing. But there's definitely a dark side and I'm sure you've heard and seen it. 
where I'm sure you come across in the news where the NFL being one of the biggest, most profitable football business in the world, they prioritize winning over women's rights. So you would hear scandals often where, you know, ex players are committing this type of crime. Ex players has assaulted this one. So if there's the dark side is seeing how people prioritize sports over day-to-day life is also disgusting. <laughs> yeah, there was a player, Baltimore Ravens, dragging a girl through the Atlantic City's elevator or something. Yeah. Ray, um, Rice. Ray Rice. Yeah, there was a whole video. Um, so what was that like for you, like working in an environment where you knew there was a dark side? Did you feel like morally you had to get out or like what what started to kind of change the your perception of it? I don't think my perception changed. It was seeing it up close and personal where I realized how much of this can I take? Because I'm sure you understand, like, working in the sports atmosphere, the stereotypes are right. It's growing. It's predominantly male, white male driven. So me, of the, and I was on a team of 12, and I was, like, the token female minority on the team. So, you know, I'm not going to have a lot of people backing me, but fortunately enough, I had a great team, but you did see it becoming very culty, just eavesdropping on certain conversations, how some of these guys go in and pitch their sales, how they really went about selling aspects. It, it gets really like, it's, it turns me off because now we're, I'm looking at men in the sales room and pitching to each other. They're talking about, Oh, Let's go to Hooters and kick back and just look at women. It's like, wow, we're really back in that fr- fraternity environment. <laughs> right, where they're looking at women as objects. And, you know, yeah. the NFL really, I mean, me and my husband always talk about it all the time. It's very good for entertainment value. You can never, ever take that away from it. But yeah. things that it does not stand for are hard to ignore. Um, and so you have to kind of ask yourself, I mean, Yes, it was great when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, but I'm truly someone that I could do with without it. I don't really need football, but I'm not a male also. And it's kind of like women and shopping. Could you really take away shopping? Maybe not. Probably. Or like, what if someone told you, like, you're not going to get your hair done anymore? You know what I mean? Like, it's like a part of your DNA or like, you're not going to get your nails done or you're not going to like do what girls do, you know, like you're not going to shave your legs anymore. Like, would you accept that? Like, I feel like for... For us, what we find is that within our DNA is what males do in theirs. So it's like, mm-hmm. what do you mean I'm not going to be a part of this football culture anymore? But it, it really is like one of those things. It's like they're too big to fail. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe that. And it's like they're never really going to get accounted or taken, get like, get the, like, I don't know the word exactly. Like, not the recognition for the things they did wrong, but they're never going to really be held accountable for the things that went wrong so many times. But anyway, we're, let's get back to the conversation. So um, now you work at another company and what has been your experience? I know it's fairly new. Um, What has been your experience at this new place? Yes, I'm currently at uh, NBC Universal, another broadcasting company. It's kind of like a rival for, ESPN slash ABC, but it, the culture is vastly different in a sense where it's it's more team developed. It's more about integrating yourself, 
like as a group as opposed to always trying to stand out and fend for yourself. And it, it's different because when you're actually in a team that's willing to invest in you, it just makes life a little easier. Oh my God. Isn't it the best? Isn't yeah. it the best when they invest in you? Because yes. that, yeah. I, we could talk about that for an hour, but anyway, so you've been there now, I guess you started around the same time as me. Um, mid December, end of December. Oh, okay. So we're around the same time. Cool. So yeah, yeah. how, like, what would be your advice to like anyone starting a new job? Cause I feel like in 2022, it's all about like rejuvenation of like, I know so many people right now that are in new jobs that just said, you know what? New year, not living like I was before I'm in a new role. And that's how like, I'm like all about empowering others. And so yes. what, what would you like, well, one, what was your, what's been your experience so far? And two, what would you say to somebody looking to either change careers or have a new role? Yeah, I think one of the best advice I even received maybe a little over a year ago was one of my mentors telling me, worry less about what, whether or not they want you worry more about whether you want them. Yes. Because a job, a company, if they're not fighting for you and if they don't want you as bad as you want them, it's not worth working for. Yeah. Wow. That's, <laughs> I mean, so many people are so like afraid, like, oh, I don't know if I should ask for more money. Like, I just, I don't know. For me, YouTube helped tremendously with like, okay, what to say at this stage of the interview, what to say on salary. Like, I got $5,000 more out of my company because they, cause I negotiated and yeah. I, I asked a man, I'm like, Oh, what would you do? And he was like, Oh, I would just take what they gave me. And I said, fuck that. I'm yeah. not here for that. Um, and I, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I explained my worth. I, I backed it up with reason. I was, it was bold. I didn't know what, how they were going to receive it. And they met me halfway. They were like, okay, 90 days, we're going to make X, which is a little lower than what you're asking for. But at 90 days, we'll give you what you want. And that's exactly what they did. So I feel very valued. Um, but like, what's been your experience? Do you feel valued? Do you feel like you're going to stay for a while? What do you, what's next? Like, um, truthfully, I, I do see myself staying with the company at least for another year and change or even two plus years, because I really enjoy my team and most importantly because you know we are whether we're still in kind of the pandemic or we're getting out of it these last two years changed our thought process yes you know, it did working from home being around like people again like what is that like learning how to be efficient and sufficient working from home at the same time we should reevaluate ourselves do we want to go back to an office five days a week so i think i would need some time to reevaluate re all these things before even taking a next step, because what we wanted two years ago might not necessarily what we want two years later. <laughs> exactly. I think the pandemic really changed everything for everybody. Um, and, you know, you really realize what you want more out of life. And I can tell you right now that if I was a hotel manager, when the pandemic hit, I would have quit and worked at like, I don't know, I would have just done anything where I didn't have to interact with people. Yeah. So intimately, I guess I should say, I actually, I didn't think about hotel managers during the pandemic, but, um, my God, they probably went through hell and back. Um, 
Yeah. And I'm sure that they were all reevaluating their life just kind of like later, like me and you were probably like, yeah, we don't really want to do it. And they were like, you know, I'm sure they got to the point where like, wow, I just got out of school and I'm a hotel person. Or I mean, whatever the case was, I just, I, I, I actually have empathy for that. And I'm sure that they realized like, I didn't want to do this. You know, it's too risky. I'm immunocompromised, et cetera. Um, and that kind of brings me to the conversation regarding mental health. And so we're just going to talk a little more about that on the other side. So stick around. Okay. So on this conversation of mental health, um, sure the past two years have been a little rough for you, huh? All of us, right? <laughs> Understatement. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it just seems like there is one crazy thing happening after another. Um, and you know, with COVID everyone, their mental health really struggled and people are still not out of it. Um, and you know, with the war in Ukraine we have right now, um, what, what do you do in a world that's kind of falling apart? How do you keep a straight line above water? Honestly, I didn't stay like sane. I actually, during the last two years, I went to see a therapist. I sought counseling because not even just for like mental health, but I felt that because the, there's so much chaos in this world, I needed to know that there's still hope. So right. not speaking to professionals, understanding that, you know, is my thought process right? Is this like normal for me to think what I think? You know, because it got to a point where I didn't know how to be happy anymore. Because how could you? Every day you wake up, it's, it's either COVID or there's a crime out there or someone being attacked maliciously. Like something. It's someone like, got shot up or, you know, the government's going to shit. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you hear leaders of this free world committing great crimes. So I started losing hope and faith. And that's why I sought help. And even just speaking to my parents, like my family, friends, everyone, it helped because it got to a point where we were all going through it together. We're not alone. We should never feel alone in a pandemic because at the end of the day, we're all going through something. If someone ever tells you that they're perfect or you know, everything's fine. Everything's perfect. It's not. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. If, if you, Typically people who say they're perfect are the most imperfect people, which is perfect, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's okay to be imperfect. And I, and I think like relating to our conversation around like our change of careers, both of us, I, now that I like have a career again, I, I'm starting to get hard on myself. Like, damn, why didn't I stick it out? Why didn't I like do the hotel thing? Like, because like now I'm getting recognized for being the intelligent person that I knew always knew I could be. And I feel like it's like 10 years of lost time of where I just took the easier route. And I I'm trying to tell myself like everything happens for a reason. And you're in this position now because, you know, you decided to go back to school and you decided to better yourself. And it, it's not, me and Christina used to talk about this because she would always say to me, don't think you failed. Cause like, it's hard not to feel that way because you can't help but feel like you spent so many dollars or whatever 
and you know, where's your career? And I, this happened to me one time. I was at a funeral of all fucking places, a luncheon. And this guy was like, Oh, don't you work in hotels or something? And I was like, Oh no, I'm like a travel. I work in travel now. And he laughed in my face literally and was like, Oh, what happened? And I, I remember those moments and I just, I just think like, again, like I don't want to either one of us really like we didn't fail, you know, we just, and this, we can't be the first people that this happened to or the last people, um, you know, just because we didn't, or like even Christina, she worked at Red Lobster and just because, you know, she didn't stay as a manager there, like, doesn't mean that you failed. Like, it just means that you are creating a new life for yourself you know um do you have regrets when you look back and you think like do you get hard on yourself to think like i should have done it differently um truth be told like i think you and i like we we have a similar thought process but at the same time we don't because where i agree with you in the sense where you know we think of the lost time but i think over the years i realized we didn't lose time we didn't lose money and in some cases, failing is a good thing because um, someone told me that if you didn't fail in life, that means you didn't try at all. Very at all. true. That's that's a really good point. Fail in order, yeah, like you're supposed to fail in order to figure out what works for you, what doesn't work for you. So, uh, like personally, Steph, I don't think you lost time. I think this journey you've gone through was much needed because how would you have known that? this is what you want and this is what you don't want or no longer. I think about that too, because we were so young when we were being put in these roles of being a hotel manager and, you know, Christina, not to always talk about her, but she would always say like, why would you tell someone who's 18 or 19? Like that that's what they're going to do the rest of their life, you know, and assume. So no, I, yeah, I agree with you. I'm just, it, it just feels like, I feel like I, I, you know, and everything does happen for a reason. Um, and I truthfully would not have been happy in hotels if I, like, I know because when I was a manager, I was in, like in the same life you were, I was 10 AM to midnight, you know, and everything does happen for a reason. And I can tell you now that I've never been happier at work. I truthfully feel like the people I work with have my back. I truthfully feel secure. Yeah. I mean, it brought me to te- I just, to think about them, this moment, right? Like. I was in hotels, went to travel for like eight years, knew I was smarter than half the people there the entire time, but did it for a check and then tried something completely different and got the recognition that I've been looking for, for almost 12 years last Friday. Like I read that letter and it brought me to tears. I could not believe I succeeded in going back to school and pursuing something else. Like it was such a, like my husband came home and he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, and I I just, in my head, I'm like, I fucking did it. Like fucking did it. I proved everyone wrong. And now I have a sense of freedom that I've never felt ever in my life. So I just, so you're right. Like you're right. If I never went through these struggles or me and you both, we would have never been so happy now. So yeah, Mm -hmm. no, that's so true. Um, yeah. but and, and regret is worse than failing because if you fail, at least you can pick yourself up and do it again. But when you regret something, it's, it's like you essentially didn't even try. 
Right. And you know, I really, when I, when that pivotal moment happened where I left that hotel after, or they let me go and I, I could have went to other hotels or tried again, but I actually don't regret it because the life I was living of being there 10 a.m. out at midnight. Oh, the auditor quit. Oh, now I got to work till four in the morning and then come back at one. Like, I don't that I knew that that life like wasn't for me, but I didn't know how to be in the hotel space without it being that way. If that makes sense. Like, so yeah, like it was for a reason. Um, and like, so what advice would you give to your younger self, that person that was starting out like in college? Like what, what would you say to you, like to the younger Joyce that you would like that, you know, now? Uh, truthfully, I would have told myself worry less about, you know, following what's right, following the path of what my parents wanted, following like what everyone's footprint because to blend in, I would tell myself to blend out, don't be like anyone else, be who you want to be, be comfortable being the odd one out, be the odd one, be the weird one, because I felt that I spent so much time trying to blend in, trying to decipher how can I be like everyone else that that was some of the missed opportunities I had to even identify who I was. Yeah, no, I mean, the way I've been kind of operating is like, I don't care what Susie's doing. I don't care what Scott's doing. I don't care what this person's doing. I care what Stephanie's doing. That's what I care about. And and for the past two years, that's all I've been doing is focusing on myself and putting myself through Mm -hmm. school. And, you know, I feel like it really put together a lot of the pieces that were missing from Penn state. I mean, yes, like I took another finance class that I, you know, the first, I like, I remembered some stuff from the first finance class, but it filled in holes that were left from Penn state. So now I feel like I got much more of a well-rounded education. And I feel like I can truthfully like look at the world more objectively now than I was able to before. And again, when you, when you get like what you really are passionate about and you get mm-hmm. what's rightfully yours in life, you feel more free. You, no one can own you. It's like the best feeling in the world, you know? Um, so what do you think, where do you see yourself? Like, I guess in a year or two years, what would you say? Um, outside a career, you know, I think one of the things I don't want to really get myself into investing is to like, look at the market, see alternative streams of income, whether it's currency, NFT, or even in real estate, because the reason I say I want to get into these endeavors, not even just for a career aspect, but for a personal aspect, that I'd like to set my family, friends up in a better place. I want them, I want to share what my knowledge, share what I can gain, and really help contribute to everyone else, because at the end of the day, it it feels good to matter. Like, you know how you say to be recognized? We all want that, whether we admit it or not. So when you can apply a knowledge or a skill set to really provide a service for others and get recognized and get appreciated, that's what ultimately everyone wants. Yeah. And like it for, you know, investing, uh, they always like I've been reading just different books on it and they say like you have to just be dedicated to the cause and you can't deviate and you can't they mentioned like a world of hyper consumption, which is really mm-hmm. capitalism in a nutshell, if you really think about it, but of like focusing on like, there was a story in one of the books where someone took out a loan specifically on the intention of making more money because he's like, 
you know, it just, it makes me want to make more money if I take out a loan. And like, that's like a crazy mindset to have. And it's like Mm -hmm. the whole, like, as soon as you get paid, like spending more than you earn type of mentality. And like, you know, it just, it, to be that way, you have to be more disciplined than you think you have to be. And like that, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be losing weight. It could be working out. It could be, buying your first home, you have to be disciplined and dedicated to the cause, no matter what you do. And, you know, even me, like talking about mental health, I mean, I, ever since my best friend died, I have really felt lost and I don't know where to turn and what to do, but I will tell you yoga and meditation have been two things that have like, I feel like saved me because Mm -hmm. yoga teaches you how to like love yourself, how to be kind to yourself how to like, you know, just hit the mat and that kind of stuff. And like, I do it now after work. Like that's my routine. Either I'm doing yoga or I'm meditating and it just helps me to be still, still and present in the moment because so many times we feel like, you know, the world's too chaotic for us or like, there's too many, like too much stimulation going on. Um, And so I, you know, we can do a whole other episode about yoga, but I mean, really, we, uh, yoga (laughs) has always personal growth, you know, whether it's a career aspect, personal aspect, family aspect, Uh, like honestly, even on the short term, long term, I just want to continue growing and excelling as a person. That's what everyone wants. Yeah. And like, you know, just again, not worrying, don't keep up with the Joneses because like there's this mentality, like all the people who like flaunt their money and act rich, they're like living paycheck to paycheck. All, all of them are like the people who actually have money. Those people aren't bragging because they actually have it. So, you know what I mean? Right. Exactly. So what, um, and we can talk about books next time, but what do you think should be required reading for every human being that's not religious? You know, I hate to say this because for the longest time, I, I, I admit, like I was, I was homed in on these self-help books. You know, oh, they're just books. We, they don't know what they're talking about. It's just these. They're just trying to generate revenue. But I realized that everyone in life should read an abundance of self-help books because there's always room for growth. Personally, professionally, in a family circle, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship. Self-help book will actually get anyone's mind to open and start understanding who they are and who who are others around them. There's a book called Atomic Habits that a lot of people reference, which is like, I only read the sample, but it talks about if you, no matter what your habit is, it could be good or bad. So like Mm -hmm. a little bit goes a long way. If you save a dollar a day, you're going to get to $365 at the end of the year. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if, you know, you keep doing that two, three years down the line, it's going to grow even more. Now, conversely, if you spend a dollar a day and you, a dollar a day you don't have, then that's going to grow. So the hat, the atomic habit book goes in either direction. So it's just, it's all about, like making sure that the habits you have are benefiting you in the long run. So it could be even smoking, like you smoke today, but it might not kill you today, but it's going to kill you tomorrow. You save money today, it might not benefit you today, but it's going to benefit you tomorrow. And that's like something too, is like, you know, always self-help and not, and not understanding that you don't know everything in the room. And I think that's really important. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many good books out there, honestly. 
Um, and then lastly, I'll ask you, who inspires you most living or dead and why? Um, Could be a celebrity. inspire me, but I think in a motivational sense, just seeing how, what my family, like I know it sounds cliche, but my mom made sacrifices just so my brother and I can have certain things. So that motivates me, that inspires me to put in a little more effort so she can live the comfortable second half of her life. Yeah, no, and that, that makes total sense. I mean, I think there's so many people that inspire me, you know, um, yeah. I would say, I mean, my mother, of course, but I, as far as like a celebrity, I would, for some reason I keep, I'm very drawn to Mariah Carey. And the reason is, is because people say, yes, she's a diva, but number one, she's extremely talented. You can never, ever take that away from her. And number two, I read her entire book, uh, like I forget the name or like I am Mariah or something. And yeah. her book was so goddamn relatable to my life. Like it was insane how much, how real of a person yeah. she actually is. Um, and how she like overcame the odds. Like I just admire even my own mother. She overcome came so many odds in her life to get to like any woman who's strong, who yes. like doesn't, take what happens to them lying down. And I think that's so true for my mom. Like my mom has been through so many things where you would think, oh, that would have killed her whatever. But no, she's still here. She's still going, you know, and that's like, for me, like in my own journey, I'm still here. I'm still going every day. I'm, I'm going and I'm trying to become a better person than I was yesterday. Um, you know, and so no, it was amazing having you on the podcast today I really appreciate it. Um, for people that don't know you, where can they find you? I know a lot of people are on social media, whatever. I don't really pay attention to it anymore. <laughs> I truthfully do not care. I mostly text through communication now because after being on a screen so many hours a day, I literally can't go on Instagram and scroll or else yeah. my eye will go blind. But where can people find you? Um, I guess the only social media I have is on Instagram simple. It's I am Joy Slow. So it's pretty much I am my first name last name. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the pod today. Thank you, Steph. Well, I want to thank Joy so much for being on the podcast today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your podcasts. Until next time, see you later.